Hello, 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 6 a.m. runners, 6 a.m. community, 6 a.m. group, everyone. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the 6 a.m. run podcast brought to you as always by 6amrun.com. Definitely continue to check out and support 6amrun.com. 6am run nutrition is obviously one of the best and obviously biasedly I say 6am run is the, you know, the greatest nutritional company out there for runners right now. So anyone that's listening to this podcast, definitely check that out. And we obviously thank 6am run for being able to fund and bring this podcast out there to the masses. So again, we thank you guys in the audience for being part of this community. Uh, With that, I'm Pami. Welcome to the 6am run show. And Uh, You guys kind of know me. I'm CEO and founder here, but I'm excited to bring Randy Lee on our show. I did not ask you this in the pre-call, so I didn't try it. Can you give us your full name, Randy? And uh, let's introduce yourself. We talked about you, but I always like, I think no one, I know this sounds very narcissistic, but I feel like people can really tell who they are better themselves than I could. Do you mind telling us who you are? Oh, yeah. So my name is Randy Lee Boslaw. I'm in Canada by kind of close to Buffalo, but obviously Canada side. And uh, I'm a mom. I've got two teenage. Well, actually, I guess the one teenager counts as an adult now. That's scary. Um, And another teenager. I've got a grandson. This year will be 10 years married with my husband. We've got bunch of cats, bunch of dogs, love some animals. I'm an author. I've written 10 books. I've got a YouTube channel, write or die show. And I'm just an all around people person for the most part. (laughs) Here's my short version. No, no. Tell us, you know, you face some adversity. We touched on it in the pre-call. And I, I, I said to you, I think that, you know, we live, I'll start with this. I read, it's funny that you're on the show today. I literally, I'm not a big, I don't follow any news media anymore. I feel like you can't get like straight answers from any side anymore. I'm anti both sides, so to say, sometimes. But I read that they're going to start screening for anxiety at four years old. And I'm 42 years old. So I feel like the last seven, maybe even the last 10 years, I want to say definitely since 2010s, I feel like anxiety has been the biggest word of this last millennium. Would you agree? Yeah. So anxiety, I feel like anxiety sometimes gets a bad rap because Mm -hmm. there's anxiety as it's medically defined. And then there is being anxious, which everyone is anxious. Now, Anxiety is a real true thing. Like, don't get me wrong. It definitely exists. My youngest has severe anxiety to the point that sometimes he doesn't even want to leave the house. But it doesn't mean that you can just throw around the word anxiety. And I say that because having two teenagers, well, one adult and one teenager now, but when the older one was around 15, 16, so this is only going back three, four years, and friends would be over at the house with her. And they'd be like, oh my goodness, my anxiety is so high. And I'm like, why? Well, I have a test tomorrow. My anxiety is so high. I'm like, so you're anxious. You have a normal amount of anxiety for this moment. But they just kind of threw that term around like they had a diagnosed anxiety disorder that was impeding on their life as an entirety. Wow. But it wasn't. It was that they were anxious for a regular normal reason. So I think people need to, when they hear the word anxiety or being anxious or they want to use it, they just have to be uh, conscientious of how they're using it. Right. Because yeah, we can all experience anxiety at some point, but 
that's pretty normal. But again, of course, there is anxiety to the extreme. Four years old, though, I don't know where you read that. I haven't read that yet. It was saying like schools, which again, that that does make sense because of yeah. just the, and, and here anyway, kids usually start that pre-K and yes. then kindergarten is at five. So, and and again, I want to say it was probably like a CNN.com or something. It was just an article. I think, I, honestly, I think even someone shared it. But to me, not that it makes sense that they're doing that, but the age makes sense because that's the age here. And I'm sure Canada is very similar. I yep. know we have a lot. Yeah, we start grade four, or yeah. age four, yeah. That's the age kids are starting school. So it seems like they just, the only reason that makes sense to me is, is like, okay, they want kids as they're starting school and really being, you know, because not here, and again, my kids are very similar. Not every kid does um, daycare and not every kid does, a lot do, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it seems like that's truly going to be the separation from the household uh, in terms of like eight hours a day. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? So I can see the anxiety. I think you're right. It's important that they do it. And that is the age they should be doing it because kids will experience their first time with anxiety for most of them at that age. Yeah. So teaching them the right coping skills then will help them to be able to manage it later in the future so that it doesn't take over their life. Right. And and I never forget, you talk about anxiety. There's nothing more. I'm, I'm a father of two myself, two beautiful daughters. The second one, I was fortunate enough that my wife was home a little bit longer. My first daughter is with a uh, my previous relationship. And I will say both of us at that time had different careers, different full-time jobs. There's the worst gut-wrenching feeling is leaving uh, your child in a daycare and your child's crying for you, but you've got to go to work to make money. You know what I mean? Like, yep. so you talk about anxiety and wondering what's going on with my kid. I never forget. So not everyone knows the story about me. Uh, that daycare at the time, I never forgot though. They had like an extra $10 service where you could subscribe to like the cameras in, in the facility. And I never forget. Thank God for those cameras. Cause I saw all right, look, her name was Layla. I literally saw like 10 minutes later, she was fine and she was playing with everyone. But every yeah. morning was very, very hard. It's not easy to leave your child when they're crying, you know, yeah. your child being sick. Why I'm saying all this, is I want to get into your your children because I think you have a great story. Not great, but you have a very valuable story you're about to share. But your child's needs. There's no question. A lot of us put those needs ahead of our own, but can you talk about yours? And that's kind of my segue. Cause I do want yeah. you to bring yours up. No, that's the perfect segue. So my youngest is the one that I usually talk about. So my older one is my stepdaughter who she did live with us from the age of 12 until last year when she moved out. Mm-hmm. And she, she's the one where the friends would come over and they would all talk about anxiety and whatnot. But it's my younger one where the story really gets really gets juicy. Um, So my younger one was diagnosed with autism at the age of eight. Prior to that, he actually experienced panic attacks at the eight. I think the first one, he was about five or six years old. And so that's why when you're saying, you know, they're going to screen for anxiety at four, I think it's great Mm -hmm. because he was experiencing that to the extreme. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know much about it as a parent at that time, because this is going back quite a few years, 10-ish years. And so I was still learning at that time. I was still taking courses. I was still trying to figure all that stuff out. And when he first had the very first panic attack, I had no idea what was going on. My husband didn't know what was going on. He was just crying and saying, my chest hurts, my chest hurts. I'm like, oh my goodness, how is my five-year-old having a heart attack? 
And so right. we went to the hospital. Wow. Then we found out, you know, because they did test and x-ray to make sure nothing was broken or anything. And sure enough, it, it was his first panic attack. And he has since had multiple of them throughout the year. And he's learned a lot of different coping strategies and skills to manage those. But it is very real and it can be very scary as the parent to go, I don't know what to do right now. So the best thing as a parent to do is to educate yourself so that if something does happen, you'll have something to kind of base, base your actions around. Well, I do agree with that. What, um, autism, and you said your youngest is obviously autistic. Yep. I got to say, and and I've been learning more and more because I think that this is something that I'm 42. I think this is something that I know existed when I was a child, but I think now it's more, we're learning more how to really navigate and help these, you know, autistic children really succeed because they can, I think if handled correctly, am I right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. So like I said, my kid was diagnosed when he was eight and he's 15 now. I want to preface that by saying he's transgender. So he was born female and did not transition to male until grade seven. And he's in grade okay. 10 now. So about three years. The reason I say that is because diagnosing a female with autism looks very different than diagnosing a male, which okay. is why it took us so long because he was presenting as female characteristics of autism. And so a male characteristics are more, you know, flapping their hands, lining stuff up. It's more physically visual. Like you can see it on them more than on a female. With a female, we tend to want to fit in. So we mimic those around us. So I say we, because I finally got diagnosed last year as well. So that was a long journey. It made a lot of my, my life make so much more sense because again, we mimic what we see where we mimic society because we want to fit in, but it doesn't mean that we're understanding why we're mimicking it. I can remember times growing up where, you know, somebody tell a joke and everybody be laughing. So I'd laugh. I had no idea why the joke was funny, but we were laughing. So I was laughing right? Just so that I didn't stand out, just so that I fit in. And so that's a really big difference between the uh, male and female diagnosing of it. But you're right. Throughout the years, we have learned that. So for a very long time, girls weren't being diagnosed with autism because of that discrepancy. When they first did the research for autism, it was all based on male children with autism. So if you didn't have those male characteristics, you didn't have autism. Mm-hmm. And now we're learning that that's not true at all. There's other things that you can look for. An example right now, you can't see it, but I am stimming. So stimming is self-stimulation. So I'm fidgeting with stuff around me so that I can focus on our conversation. So when my body does something else, my brain can focus on the conversation. So everything has like a name for what it is, right? But I think also too, I think everyone just has also different ways of, let me say what I want to say, but I think, I think you can, you'll get it. I think we all have different ways of receiving information. So, so let me give you an example. I'm 42, right? I was never diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, right? I think in my generation, boys just wanted to climb trees, play sports. And we're, you know, my teacher always on my report card commented, he doesn't sit still, right? Now today I probably would be diagnosed with ADD, probably, right? And be given like Adderall or anything. But what I'm noticing is, and hear me out where I'm going with this. I can read, right? I know how to read and write. If you gave me a book, 
100 pages, 200 pages, and said, Hami, read this book and tell me what happens. I could read the book, but then tell me, hey, what happened in chapter five? I have no freaking clue, right? But what I found is, and this is where I think, you know, modern, not modern medicine, but just evolution comes into play. If I listen to a book while I'm running, and that's how I interpret it, 100% better. Yep. Okay. So I see what you're saying. Yep. Everyone learns differently. Right. Then that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. And that is so important to understand. It's school system. So I can only speak the, to the Canadian school system, but I think it's similar in America, at least the publicly funded ones. Our school system is set up to teach students a certain way. Yeah, exactly. A certain way and a certain set of skills. Mm-hmm. That way doesn't always work for other kids. I I was the kid in school. I sat mostly still. I fidgeted a little bit in school, but I was the kid who was doodling while the teacher was talking. So I would get the comments about, you know, you need to pay attention. And then I could tell the teacher back exactly what she was talking about. I'm like, I am paying attention. Just because I am doodling doesn't mean I'm not paying attention to you. That was my way of being able to pay attention to her. Yeah. Just like you being, getting up, moving around. And yeah, some kids reading a book doesn't work. It doesn't sink into their brain. So listening, being an auditory learner is totally normal. My son is an auditory learner. So I tell him things instead. It's not that he can't read, but it sits in his brain better when he hears it. Yeah, no, and it's, and and like I said, it took me I'm 42. It's uh, Audible, I think, is not even like a five-year-old app. Maybe it's a little oh, more than I that. I love Audible. <laughs> uh, and Audible, like I can sit there and I can take so many books in. My mentor, CEOs, fellow CEOs, yep. like Audible, I curse a little bit, by the way, Randy, sorry, but Audible is the shit. Like I'm just, I love it, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I love Audible. Back to some some of the mental health stuff. I think you, one of the things I want to say when I'm hearing your story, when I read it, There's a lot there. (laughs) Yeah, there is. (laughs) We could probably talk for hours. You know, and even you've you've, you've been touching a little bit on it and you've been peeling this kind of orange and onion back a little bit. I'm talking to you right now and we do, our podcast is audio only, but this is not a bad thing. You're such a positive person. How do you maintain positivity? I'm not going to lie. And again, I think that sometimes people appreciate, and I'm sure people hearing this are going to, you know, really, 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 they're going to connect with you. But how did you maintain this bubbly positivity that I'm vibing with right now? How do you maintain that? With some antidepressants? No. (laughs) Well, that's part of it. I'm not going to lie. I I do take antidepressants because they do help to level out the chemicals in my brain. So when I was 14, that was when I first kind of had my first bout with depression. That's when I first realized something was wrong. At the time of being 14, I didn't know something was wrong. I just thought every 14-year-old felt like their life sucked and they shouldn't be on this earth anymore. Which, by the way, it's what every... I have a 14-year-old daughter right now. A lot of them do. (laughs) And she sometimes is a... I'll use the nice word. She sometimes is a jerk. But I get told by her, the mom and by everyone, oh, that's just that age. I know. But but go ahead. Yeah, no, I hear you. I got, like I said, I got a 15-year-old right now. And sometimes just... (laughs) No. um, So... I didn't realize that planning to hurt myself was not natural, was not something that should be a thought that crossed my mind on a regular basis Mm -hmm. until I was an adult and I could look back. 
So as time went on, I mean, as an adult, I, I was getting worse and worse, especially when my son was going through his really bad time. So before he got diagnosed with autism, he was having major meltdowns at school. So meltdowns are very natural part of autism, a very normal part of it. However, people don't like to hear about it because it's scary. So a meltdown is not the same as a temper tantrum. A temper tantrum is, no, you can't have that candy bar. Now you're stomping your feet. A meltdown is the dishwasher's going and the dog is barking and the light is too bright and my clothes are too tight and now I'm going to freak out because there's too much going on. And so that was happening on a very, very regular basis with my son. We would actually have to call 911 multiple times to come and help him and take him to the mental health ward just simply because we didn't have the ability to help him at home at the time. So because his meltdowns would get very violent. I have been chased with a knife. I have been tried to be pushed down the stairs. He has thrown things. He has thrown glass on the ground and broken stuff. It's pretty intense. And I write about that in my one book. And so with him doing that and my depression just, you know, living in my brain the way it does before I had ever went to therapy or went to seek any kind of help, it started to tell me how horrible of a parent I was. And I'm a horrible parent. And now I'm also a horrible employee because I'm being called to pick him up at school. Now I'm also a horrible wife because I can't manage my household. And, and, and bottom line was I was a horrible person. That's what my brain was telling me every day, nonstop. And because my brain was telling me that, my brain was going, you know what? Everybody would be better off without you because you're so horrible. Oh, no. So I had actually made a plan to drive off a bridge. I had picked out the bridge and everything uh, that I would use on my way to work because where I live, there's a lot of them, but I wanted to pick one that was kind of a little bit more secluded so people couldn't find me when I drove my car off the bridge. It, it was a solid plan. Not a good idea. <laughs> but uh, because I had that plan, I was like, oh no this isn't good. Like I should not be considering this. Like I know that this is not okay. So that's when I went to seek help. That's when I went to my doctor and I also started in therapy. So my doctor gave me antidepressants, which really helped me to get my brain to a point where I could properly absorb the therapy. So I don't think any one type of coping or um, strategy will help you all on its own. So sure. what I mean, like like I said, I take antidepressants and that alone helps, but it won't solve the problem. The problem will still exist because my brain is still thinking the way that it was before. It just helps me from going too low. It never lets me go all the way down into the pit. With therapy though, that helped me to change the way that my brain was thinking. It helped me to view problems in different ways, gave me different strategies that I could use. So those two things were the best of help for me. And then of course I found exercise and nature, writing, all sorts of those other coping strategies that go along with it. And that is my long-winded answer of how I stay bubbly. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, I appreciate that. And, and autism, you know, I will say, and I, it's funny, I, I just want to get your thoughts. I learned everything you're saying now the pandemic, I think, was a little bit good in terms of some spending family time together and, and doing some things. My wife and I fell in love. You probably know there's a show on Netflix that came out during the pandemic called Atypical. Are you familiar with this? <gasps> I love that show. And really, if anyone does want to kind of know everything you're talking about autism, I forget the name of the child actor in that show. He's a really good actor. Yeah. I know Michael Rappaport and, and, and that family, everything you're explaining the child goes through. They have to have these like silent dances where you can only wear like your headphones and like 
you know, I think people hear the word autism and then they look at the person and the person does from the exterior look very normal, yeah. right? So it's, I don't say deceiving, but it's a, it, it is in a way, but it's not a horrible, but it's, you got to get to know the psyche. And I think that the yeah. way, what I like about that show is things are very cut and dry. Like if I tell you, I want a girlfriend, right? And part of the show follows this. Yeah. If I tell you I want a girlfriend, you know kind of why. I think where for an autistic person, they just feel like these are just check marks that they've got to get done. There's no emotion behind it. Am I right? Um, it depends on each person. So autism's very it's a spectrum, right? So right, right. each part of it is very different. And so actually people who a lot of times they say it's a spectrum and they think a spectrum of just one line of things, you're either high or you're low. And that's not the case. A spectrum of each individual executive functioning skill. So intelligence, you can be high or low in that. Your social skills can be high or low. Your stimming can be high or low. Like all of those different things are high and low. So sometimes we come off as it seems like a check mark because our emotions don't match on the outside, what we are feeling or thinking on the inside. So it can seem that way, but it's not that way. So like I've been married 10 years this year, been with my husband for 15 years and there's a lot of love there, but I don't like holding hands. I don't like being all touchy lovey, like when it's time. Okay. But like, leave me alone after Um, we sleep in separate beds because I don't want nobody beside me when I'm sleeping. Right. So it, it can seem that way. It can seem like there's no real emotion behind it because my actions show you that. But once you get to know me, um, like as well as my husband does, or like my best friends or whatever, then they realize, Oh, this is how you show your emotion. Like when I, when I say, Hey, how was your day? That's me showing you, I love you, mm-hmm. but don't come up and just give me a hug. I'm, I'm not down for that. <laughs> no, that really, that helps me a lot. A couple of things I, I, I love in, in your bio here fitness. Let's tie some stuff as we kind of are talking right now. Let's tie some things into fitness. Myself, personally, fitness is a centering. It's a meditation. It keeps me sane, right? I think that, I'll be honest, I can take anger. I can take a bad day. I can take a lot of things and I can come to some clarity and some sense of calm through my running every day. What about you what does physical fitness mean to you? You touch on this on your bio. So I want to get into that. Obviously, you're, it doesn't maybe have to be running per se. I know yeah. we don't always talk to runners, but our, our audience, that's their preferred method. But go ahead. <laughs> I love exercise. I do love running. Right now, I'm having some bad plantar fasciitis, so I'm not. <laughs> but I do love running. We live close to a canal. So oh. I, in the summertime, it's so awesome. Nice I'll just go. Yeah. yeah, and I run around there and it's it's awesome. I don't like running inside, like on a treadmill and stuff. Sure. That's It's just not fun. Like I like being outside when I do it. And then kickboxing has been my kind of go-to for nine years. Again, I'm on a little hiatus from it because of the feet and such, but it just releases everything probably the same way as like the runners are feeling when they're doing it. It gives you that release and the endorphin rush and all the happy hormones. Yeah. How often a week do you work out? It used to be a lot more, but because like, like I said, I'm having some health issues, my feet, my back, everything. It's not fun. So I still work out about 
try to do it like six times a week, still okay. nearly every day. Sometimes it's simple yoga, just some simple stretches, yeah. which, you know, some people forget that just stretching is still physical activity. I walk twice a day because I got dogs and they got to go. <laughs> but right. I, I will usually work out at least six times a week for like a specific workout, whether it's lifting weights or doing a little bit of cardio or whatever. Um, when I was training for fights, when I was kickboxing competitively, I was working out, I was running every morning. I would skip during my lunch at work. And then I would go to the gym for an hour to two hours doing kickboxing. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, no, it, now let me get back here to your books. You said you had a few books written. Tell me about the books, how that came about, where people can find those. Really, I want to make sure we also touch that subject. Yeah, for sure. So I think I'm up to 10 books now. Some of them are kids' books, so yeah. those ones are a lot easier to write. Um, it started when I was a teenager being depressed and planning all of those ways to hurt myself. And so instead of actually doing that, I wrote them. I wrote out all of those ways. And so that was what I turned into my first book that I published in 2017 uh, called Thoughts of a Wanderer. It's just a book of poetry. I saw that, yeah. Pretty dark ones, but it, I think they're really good. And then from there, I was like, oh, I love this. I, I'm going to release more books. So from there, my second book was all about raising my kid with autism. Uh, that one's called A Mother's Truth. And then the other nonfiction that I released last year, it's called Embracing Me, all about depression. And then, like I said, I've got a few kids books and some social stories. So social stories teach a specific skill to kids with autism. So I've got two of those out right now, how to wash your hands and how to make a new friend. And so those are some cute little ones. And then my favorite book is a collection of short, scary stories, because I love all things horror. <laughs> and so all of those you can get on Amazon. So you just mm -hmm. go in there, search up my name, Randy Lee Boslaw, and everything will come up. Awesome. Wow. Randy, I, you've touched on everything. You know, let's kind of, as we come to the fourth quarter of the conversation here, what are some things maybe I missed that you would, you know, want to tell our audience? And like I said, I, I feel there's definitely going to be some of our audience members that can relate to a lot of what you say. I mean, we definitely live in a time where every issue you, you know, you bring up are, are issues that many people face. Um, what are some of the things maybe I didn't ask, but you still maybe want to share with our audience? Please tell me if I missed something. Well, my story has lots more components to it, lots more layers. But I mean, I think we touched on all the major parts. The only other major one that I'm going to say that kind of adversity that I went through is in 2018, I had cancer. And so coming back from that was more of a mental um, coming back than an emotional. So for anybody who is going back to their regular activities, they're running and stuff. And after having went through something like that, it's okay to be kind to yourself and to take it slowly. And I mean, that goes for any kind of illness or surgery or anything that you've been through. It's okay if you're coming back from something and you are not the way that you were before, because you're not. And yeah. even and even if you haven't went through something, the next day when you wake up, you're not the same person as you were the day before. You're a day older. So be kind to yourself if some days you're having an off day. It's okay. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. And by the way, I think that's what like self-love and self-like yeah. being, you know, so I always say like, you know, you're kind of your own best friend. If you think about it, you talk to yourself more than you talk to anyone else. Right. Yeah. So like, obviously being there for yourself is, you know, and it, it does go back a little bit to we're, we're both very much so on the same page, Randy, because I always say, if you're not at your best, whether it's physical health or mental health, if you're not at your best, 
there's just no way that you can be better for other people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, it makes total sense. It's the same analogy of, you know, on an airplane when the oxygen masks come down, you got to put yours on your face first before you help anybody else. Yeah. Because if you don't help yourself first, you can't help anybody else. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Real quick, let's also make sure we mention, Randy, I really thank you for your time. And if there's anything else, please let me know. But let's also make sure we're going to put everything, Randy, I have your bio. We're going to put all of Randy's websites and everything out there in the bio. So any of you want any of her books or Randy, are you right now talking to anyone? Like, Do you have coaching slots available for people? Where can people meet you, get a hold of you and, and connect with you? So I'm on Facebook, RB okay. Writing, okay. Um, as well as Instagram, Randy B. Writing, TikTok, Write or Die Show, YouTube, Write or Die Show, anywhere that you can see me. I'm technically on Twitter, but don't try to contact me that way because I'll never see it. <laughs> I'm never on there. My my posts automatically go on there when I use my little posting thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. You either really, really love Twitter and on there every single day, or you are not... It's there's no in between with Twitter. Yeah, I feel like no. I'm obsessed with TikTok right now. Yeah, I think that's that's a lot of us, right? I'm I'm not on TikTok as much as I'm on there watching. <laughs> that's like my husband. My husband watches occasionally. He'll post one, but he right. just likes to watch it. No, no, no. That's awesome, Randy. This listen. I wish you keep doing what you're doing. I think you've taken um, all your adversities, and it seems like you found a great way to handle your adversities, but also um, make a I don't want to say pivot, but like you've taken your adversities and you found a way to both address your own adversities at the same time helping everyone else. So I want you to know from me, I respect and admire what you've done. Don't stop doing that. I think what you are doing is needed in today's world. So continue to do that and continue helping people. And, and you're, you're, it seems like you're really living that kind of selfless life and putting people's needs and, and helping them understand. And, and like I said, life's thrown a few things at you and, and it seems like you're persevering every single day. So keep fighting. And, and Randy, thank you so much for today for your time. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Thank you. All right, everyone. I really appreciate all you guys for, for listening. Randy, again, thank you so much. Everyone go crush your runs, crush your day. Um, as always brought to you by 6amrun.com. And until next time, thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. <laughs>